right. Um, he is risen. You're getting much, much better at it. Um, years ago, um, I was speaking to a guy I just met by the name of Adam, and I'd been talking to him about faith and about uh, Jesus, and uh, he had been going to the church I was attending at the time, and so we met at church, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I didn't, I'm not a Christian, I didn't grow up around Christianity. Uh, he was a PhD student at Duke University, and he, uh, he said, look, he said, I only started coming to this church because of a girl I liked, <laughs> you know, that's how it starts for a lot of guys. He said, I wasn't interested in faith. I wasn't interested in Christianity. He said, but, he said, you know, I, I, I've been doing some research on my own. And this is a, you know, PhD student at an elite institution. And he said, I've been doing some research on my own and I'm becoming convinced that the evidence points to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth really did rise from the dead. I said, that's a great. He said, you don't understand. This is problematic for me. I said, why is that? He said, because, Will, if this is true, if there really is a tomb in Jerusalem that is empty, if Jesus really did conquer death, he said, then it changes everything for me. It changes everything for me. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything about my life must change. He said, because if Jesus rose from the dead, it means that everything he says about himself is true and trustworthy. He said, if that's the case, then that changes everything. And I believe my friend Adam was right. I actually had the privilege of baptizing Adam just a few months after that. But if Jesus really rose from the dead, it does change everything. You see, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. This is a day where Christians all over the world come together and celebrate that a tomb in Jerusalem is empty. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ after being crucified on a Roman cross. This is the central day in the Christian calendar because the resurrection is the central event in Christianity. You see, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, it's all just philosophy and ethics. And without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. The Apostle Paul, who we're going to actually be reading today, says that the resurrection of Jesus is of first importance to the Christian life. He goes so far as to say that if the resurrection didn't happen, all of us should stand up right now, walk out those back doors, and go grab an early dinner and go rent a movie on, you know, Prime Video later tonight. He said if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then we're wasting our time. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then it changes everything, and it is of crucial and central and first importance. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. If you have your Bible, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, and it'll be on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless that is that you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, 
and to the 12 disciples, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And then down in verse 17, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So the resurrection is of first importance. So this afternoon, I want us to consider this, the center of Christianity, the resurrection. I want us to look at this event of the resurrection. I want us to see three important truths uh, for us to see this afternoon, and they're real simple. It's this. Resurrection happened, resurrection happens, and resurrection will happen. All right? So resurrection happened. So an important thing to understand is that when Christians say that we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You know what I mean? It wasn't his spirit. It wasn't his soul. It wasn't his aura. We believe the traditional Christianity, historic Christianity teaches that Jesus' physical body, the same one, that had eaten with tax collectors and sinners, the same body that with a touch had healed the sick, the same body that by breaking bread fed the hungry, the same body that just days earlier had been beaten, tortured, and executed, the same body that was placed in the grave three days later stood up, took off the grave clothes, and rolled away his own tomb and walked out. The resurrection of Jesus is not something that the disciples felt in their hearts. The resurrection of Jesus was something they saw with their eyes. We believe in a physical, bodily resurrection. And there are three facts. So if you're here and you're not a Christian today, you're like, I can't wrap my head around that. And that's why it's called a miracle. Like, that's why dead people don't rise. That's what makes it, that's why we're here celebrating because that's not a normative thing. But if you're here and you're like, how, how can you believe that? How can you believe that a man rolled away his own tomb after being brutally murdered and is walking around appearing to his friends? How could you possibly believe that? Well, I believe the evidence actually points to it being a very plausible thing to believe, a very reasonable thing to believe, because there are three facts, three facts that virtually every scholar, Christian or otherwise, affirms. The question is, what do we do with these facts? But the facts are, Jesus of Nazareth really did exist and really was crucified by the Romans. That's fact number one. That's undisputed by any reputable scholar. Jesus of Nazareth really existed and was really executed by the Romans. Second fact that virtually all scholars agree with is that Jesus of Nazareth was buried That's what happened when someone was executed in the first century. He was buried. So Jesus really existed. He really was crucified, and he really was buried. And the third fact that virtually all reputable scholars agree with is that Jesus' tomb somehow really became empty. That somehow is the linchpin, right? That's that's what, what we need to figure out. How? We know that the tomb was empty. Scholars agree that the tomb was empty because at that time, 
all Roman or Jewish leaders had to do was produce Jesus's body, parade it around town, and the claims of Christianity would have crumbled on the spot. And if you read history, you know that first century Rome and first century Jewish leader, religious leaders, they all wanted to disprove the claims of Christians. And all they had to do was say, look, here's his body. And the movement of Christianity would have ended before it ever began. But the fact that it went on, that this belief that Jesus was crucified and nobody was ever presented shows that a tomb in Jerusalem really was empty. Now, the question is, how did it become empty? There's all sorts of explanations that people will offer to explain how a tomb became empty. Some have said that Jesus didn't actually die. Uh, they say that he was unconscious and they buried him in a tomb. It wasn't like we do now where they throw dirt on you and you're in a casket. Like, you're just in a tomb. And he just got up and walked out. Um, some will say that the disciples stole the body and formed, you know, an elaborate hoax around Jesus' resurrection. And uh, that was sort of what happened. Uh, none of these explanations, in my opinion, really stack up. Uh, because the Romans, they were expert executioners. I mean, if you read history you know that Rome perfected the art of execution, especially execution by a cross. They knew, what, uh, these, they weren't dumb, and they knew whether Jesus was dead or not. And in fact, in the Gospels, we read that they stuck a spear in his side at the very end just to sort of, uh, you know, just to, to make sure that Jesus had really been executed. These were not unintelligent people. They would not have buried a, near, a merely unconscious man. They wouldn't have done it. Jesus was really dead. So the, the, the idea that Jesus swooned or that he was unconscious, this, it, it, it's, ju it's simply, in my opinion, not plausible. Also, my, the question I have is how in the world, if it, let's say Jesus was unconscious, um, how in the world does a man who just a couple of days earlier had been beaten supposedly to within an inch of his death survive two days without food in a tomb or it doesn't have food or water, and then somehow three days later has the strength to roll away a massive tombstone and then evade Roman guards and then walk around town appearing to all his friends. It's not plausible. To me, it's just not plausible that Jesus could have been unconscious. He really was dead. He really was dead. But the idea, the, the, the other sort of idea that people will say is that, well, the disciples stole the body. And they claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. They, they, it was just a big elaborate hoax. That's, to me, that's equally illogical. Because Paul says he appeared to Cephas, he names Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12, we all know their names, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's essentially Paul saying, many of them are still alive, go ahead and ask them. And then he appeared to James, go ask James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he, he appeared to me. So uh, Paul says that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to a bunch of people, and here's their names. Go ahead and ask them. And Paul names all these people. He names Peter and James and himself, the 12 disciples. He said there were 500 others. And uh, other gospels name uh, other people, Mary Magdalene, Mary. There were other women that saw Jesus. Now, if 500 plus people were all got together, so this idea that the disciples stole the body and developed a big elaborate hoax, I mean, think about it. You've got 500 plus people that have gotten together and developed an elaborate hoax to deceive the world. You have to ask why. 
why would you develop why would you develop a hoax why would you steal a body and claim that that body had risen from the dead why would you do that some will say um, they'll say well Peter Paul or Paul later but Peter and these guys they wanted authority they wanted power but the, the crazy part about that is none of these guys ever got power. None of them ever got authority. Most of them were executed for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Which brings me to another point. When you start persecuting people for their claims, really quickly, you'll find out if it's a hoax or not, right? Nobody dies for a hoax. And definitely not 500 plus people. And the real question is, in the early first century writings, there's no record of any of the witnesses, people who claim to have saw the resurrection. There's no, there's no credible account or any account that any of them ever recanted their claim that Jesus rose from the dead, even though many of them faced persecution and death. So my wife and I, we recently watched a Netflix documentary on the college admissions scandal. Has anybody watched this one? Okay, so uh, if you're not familiar with this, Aunt Becky, you guys remember Aunt Becky from Full House? This is how she went to prison. If you didn't know that Aunt Becky went to prison, now you're finding out. Have fun with Google after the service. But there was this big elaborate scheme, okay, where all these wealthy, wealthy parents were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to this guy who was getting their children into, admitted into elite universities all over the country so, through all sorts of clearly illegal methods. And there were all kinds of people were involved in this scheme, hundreds. And listen to me, it's, it seemed like it was going great. Their kids were getting into these schools. I mean, all this, the guy was, that was making it happen was getting rich. And it seemed like it was the perfect hoax and everybody was getting away with it. But guess what happened the nanosecond that the FBI was on their case? Everybody involved in that thing started squealing everybody started turning in everybody and they're all trying to get you know sweetheart deals and immunity deals and in an instant the whole scheme came tumbling down uh, Charles Colson another story he Charles Colson was a member of Richard Nixon's inner circle and he was eventually charged and sentenced to prison because of all the surroundings of Watergate and he later became a Christian and this is what Charles Colson said. He said, listen to me. Take it from one who was on the inside of the Watergate web looking out. And I saw firsthand just how vulnerable a cover-up is. Nothing less than a witness as awesome as the resurrected Christ could have caused those men and women to maintain to their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord. You see, if it was a hoax, somebody would have, would have barked. But they were willing to die because they, it wasn't a hoax to them. They really saw Jesus and they really touched his hands. In the Gospels, you have accounts of multiple witnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. They touched him, they ate with him, and none of them, not even with the threat of death, ever changed their story. For this reason, I have to reasonably conclude that the resurrection really did happen. It's a historical event. But not only do I believe that the resurrection happened, I believe that it continues to happen. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now we originally had planned to schedule a baptism today, but through some circumstances, we're rescheduling that baptism. Uh, that's going to happen in a few weeks, hopefully. Um, but uh, we were going to baptize right out there on the front steps. And what we do on when we baptize someone, baptism 
is a picture of what has happened to those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. So someone goes under the water, and then they're raised out of the water. And the symbolism is, I died. The old me died with Christ. But a new me has risen up into new life through the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is a picture of resurrection. And usually when we baptize someone, we give them an opportunity to tell their story, and it usually goes along the lines of something like this. I was going this way. I was once this. I was dying inside. I was dead. I had no hope. I was uh, overcome with addictions. I was overcome with self-loathing. I was overcome with fear and shame and guilt. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved me, has made me alive with Christ. And then we baptize that person, and then the place goes nuts. And we're going to do that in a few weeks. And if I were to open the floor to those of you in this room who are followers of Jesus, I think we would hear countless stories of people saying, I have experienced the resurrection in my own life. That God, many of you would say, God not only unsealed a tomb in Jerusalem, but at some point he has unsealed the tomb of darkness in my own heart and light and life has flooded in and I am a new creation because of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, I have been forgiven of my sins and I have new life. And some of you, because of the presence of Jesus in your life, you have found hope in hopeless situations. There, is, there are people in this room who have overcome addiction because of the resurrected Jesus. There are people in this room who have found hope in the midst of sickness, who have found community in the midst of loneliness, who have found joy in the midst of despair because through Christ, God has made resurrection and second chances possible in your lives. When it seemed like nothing but death was surrounding you, you would might say, Jesus came in and gave me new life. There are countless stories like that in this room. I know because I've heard you share them. And the scriptures use several analogies of what happens when we believe in Jesus and we begin following Jesus. Analogies like darkness to light, lost to found, orphaned to adopted, death to life. That's resurrection. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The hope of the gospel is that no matter how dead you feel, you can be made alive in Christ. You can experience joy even when it feels like hell is all around you. You see, Christianity, it's not about teachings. It's not about ethics. It's not about philosophies. It's about resurrection and it's about new life. And that new life brings about philosophy and ethics and teachings. But at the very core of Christianity is not what must I do to be saved. It's what has Jesus done to save me. And he kicked open the grave, ripped off his grave clothes and announced that new life is possible through him. Resurrection happens because when you begin following Jesus, the old you, your old mistakes, your shame, your guilt are covered up by Jesus and you are given new life. Your sins are no longer held against you. Your past mistakes no longer identify you and you can unload the burdens of your guilt and shame and stand up straight and begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection happened, we believe, and I know that it happens today, and it's happening in many of your lives. 
your story can begin again if you're here today and you're wondering if that's possible. The resurrection happened, it happens, but there's also a promise that it will happen. There is a resurrection that is to come, and this is the beauty of the resurrection. When I say it's the central event of Christianity, I mean it's the central event of Christianity, meaning that we look back to it for our hope, we look, experience it now in the presence for our hope, and we look forward to the day where the resurrection will be made fully and we'll experience it and it'll give us hope. It happened, it happens, and resurrection will happen. You see, eternal life, the new heavens, the new earth, what Jesus accomplishes for us is not just for this life. Paul actually says that if, if this life is all there is, if it's just lights out when you die, he says, then what good is the resurrection? The resurrection gives us an eternal perspective. You see, all of us long for eternity. You long for it whether you realize it or not. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity into your heart. Those longings, those feelings of discontent, those feelings of, my God, there's got to be more than this. Those feelings, that is because God placed eternity in your heart and you will not be satisfied until you know that Christ has filled that eternity with his resurrection. You may come in here and you may have a ton of questions today. You might say, well, you know, if there's a God, why is there suffering? Why is there injustice? Why is there cancer? Why is there global pandemics? Why is there racism? Why is there sexual abuse? Why is there all these things? You see, there are things that threaten our bodies. There are things that threaten our lives. There are things that threaten our world. And whether you are a Christian or whether you are the staunchest atheist in the world, we all have a hard time accepting that evil and that chance is just random in this world. No one, only the coldest heart would say to a cancer patient, oh, that's just the way it is. It's just how it goes. Only the coldest, hardest heart would say in the midst of racism, oh, that's just, how, that, that's just the way the world is. No, our hearts will not let us say that. Our hearts demand that we say, this is not the way the world is supposed to to be because we all know deep down that something, something is wrong. We know that the world is not like it's supposed to be. We know deep down that we were made for a world where things like this don't happen. We ache and we long for this. C.S. Lewis once described heaven as that remote music that we're all born remembering. You see, we all have a sense that we were meant for something more, and we have a sense that this life is not all there is. That's why there's something deep within us that says all the wrongs in the world need to be made right. Because I believe we have a memory of eternity. We have a memory of a paradise that was lost. That's why we hate suffering so much. It's why the things of this world are so disappointing to us. I believe that we know deep down what it's like to be with God. And we, because we know we were made for it. These mo those moments with your family where everything is just right. Those moments in front of a sunset when everything just feels perfect. Those moments when everything feels right. We have these nanosecond glimpses of what we were made for. You're like, I was made for this. We feel like we remember 
something that we, we haven't been able to experience fully, and we're trying to get back there ever since. And the testimony of the Scriptures is that there is a way to get back. Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks, do you believe this? You see, Jesus takes us back to where we long to be. He takes us to eternity. He has promised that he told the man on the cross with him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. At our death, we walk into eternity. But Jesus also promises that there's coming a day where he will, the new heavens and new earth will come. And this earth will be redeemed, renewed, and restored. And he will come down from heaven and set up his throne here. And all things will be made new. Every sin will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And Jesus will reign for eternity. And everything will be just as he intended, the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus says, that there is a way to experience that. And we're all terrified of death. We're terrified of it. But through Jesus, death is actually the way to new life. When we die to our old selves, we can come alive through Jesus and start a new life. And the promise of the Scriptures, not only is that we can have sort of figurative new life, but also that our literal death, if we are in Christ, is actually a doorway into eternity with God. During World War II, um, the country of France was divided into Nazi-occupied territory and territory that was free. And German soldiers, they guarded this territory very, very closely. And I recently read about a, a small village, a small French village that sat on the border of Nazi-occupied France and the part of France that was free. Well, uh, on that property, uh, in that village, there was a cemetery that sat on a property that backed up to the dividing line of the partitioned country. And on the line of that property, there was a big brick wall, but on the line of that property, there was a gate in the middle of the brick wall surrounding the graveyard. And some of the villagers became wise. And every time there was a funeral, the townspeople would all put on their suits they would go to the funeral, attend the funeral. They would walk through the graveyard. They would go to the back of the cemetery. They would open up the gate, and they would walk into freedom. They walked through literal death into freedom. You see, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead that first Easter morning, he opened a door on the backside of the cemetery. And we still go there. It's just we don't spend any time inside. We go right on through and out the back through Jesus into the land of life and freedom and resurrection. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. It's the resurrection. It is of first importance. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can walk into resurrected life. And that changes everything. Let me pray for you, church. Father in heaven, we thank you that a tomb is empty. We thank you that the grave has been defeated. We thank you that our shame and our guilt has been defeated. And because you rose from the dead, not only can we begin again today and experience new life today, we know that life will go on for eternity and we will be with you forever. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who conquered death so that we would not taste it. And so Jesus, we thank you for the cross because without the cross, there is no resurrection. Because you tasted the sting of death, we have the promise that we will not and that we have eternal life. And so, God, we thank you that you have suffered so that we could have new life. 
And it's in your name we pray. Amen.